Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. Per the opening video of Ronald Reagan you just heard, when President Reagan dedicated the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum on November 4, 1991, he said that he wanted the library to be more than just a place where scholars interpret the past, but that he wanted it to be a dynamic intellectual forum where policymakers debate the future. What better way to honor his vision than to host presidential debates at his library? Since 2007, the Reagan Foundation has hosted five Republican primary candidate debates, two in the 2008 presidential election cycle, one in the 2012 presidential election cycle, one in the 2016 presidential election cycle, and then our fifth one, just last week, as part of the 2024 presidential election cycle. At our debate, which was broadcast on Fox Business and was in partnership with Univision, Rumble, and the RNC, six candidates took the stage. They were, in alphabetical order, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott. Approximately 700 guests watched the debate live in our Air Force One Pavilion, with another 500 members of the media on our campus watching from the filing center and spin room. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we are replaying this debate. Let's listen. Months from now, someone who may be the next president of the United States will be on this stage debating six other candidates. In the course of this debate, we're certain that there will be disagreements and diverging opinions, and President Reagan would have loved that. After all, Ronald Reagan is well remembered for being at the center of so many defining moments in presidential debates. But it was not the drama or the sharp quips that he loved most. After all, remember, he lived by what he called the 11th commandment. It called for respectful exchange of ideas. It was Ronald Reagan's dream that this presidential library might serve as a forum for vigorous yet civil debate among those who seek to lead America into the future. The focus of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute is on the future, and this debate is about the future. Our hope is that we will hear from these candidates about how we can apply the enduring principles of our 40th president to today's challenges and America's role in the years to come. Ronald Reagan showed us how to achieve peace through strength around the world, while he showed us that optimism could restore our confidence here at home. He championed democracy and free markets, knowing that they are essential to unleashing human potential. And he set an example for all of us with his decency and good character. Ronald Reagan made us all proud and he got America to stand tall again. And that is something I know we all want from our next president. RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel announced this debate during her speech here last April, and now it's our pleasure to have her back on the stage at the Reagan Presidential Library. Please welcome, now serving a historic fourth term, RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. Thank you, Fred. Thank you so much. Thank Great you, job. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. 
Isn't it amazing to be here in the Ronald Reagan Library? It's gorgeous. Thank you all for coming. I hope you're enjoying the beginning of this show. The last time a Republican beat a Democrat incumbent president was Ronald Reagan in 1980. Boy, do we need that history to repeat itself in 2024. Ronald Reagan was a great communicator, and Republicans have to be great communicators between now and this next election. And this debate stage gives us an opportunity to make our case to the American people as to why Joe Biden needs to be retired and a Republican needs to be returned to the White House in 2024. This does not happen without a lot of amazing people, and I want to thank some of them. Our RNC debate committee, who did such a great job, our RNC members, and our committee led by Dave Bossie and Ann Hathaway, thank you so much for all of your hard work. I also want to thank our debate partners, Fox Business, Univision, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, and Rumble and also our California delegation led by your great state party chair and my dear friend, Jessica Patterson. Every day, every day I wake up thankful to live in the greatest nation on earth. And I am so excited to be with all of you tonight. I hope you enjoy the debate. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. It is now my great honor to introduce tonight's moderators, Dana Perino, Stuart Varney, and Ilya Calderon. Thank you. So excited. I'm going to hug you. I'm a hugger. I'm a hugger. I'm going to hug you. Thank you all so much. Without further ado, please welcome the Republican candidates for president who have qualified for the second debate.
Jessica Patterson, Chairwoman of the California Republican Party, will now deliver the invocation. No, Hannah, one, Hannah, one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together, both in person and in spirit. We come before you with gratitude. Gratitude for the gifts of faith, family, and friends to support us in this journey. We extend our gratitude for our hosts, the Republican National Committee and Fox Business, in partnership with the Reagan Foundation, Univision, and Rumble. We thank you for bringing us to this hallowed venue, the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, a place dedicated to a leader who served this country with unwavering commitment and vision. May the spirit of his principles of freedom, individual responsibility, and optimism that our greatest, greatest days lie ahead of us will be with us tonight. Lord, bless our candidates, their campaign teams, and volunteers. Be with them as they continue to bring their message to the American people. As we move forward together as Republicans, I pray that, as Paul did in his first letter to the Corinthians, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let the work we do in this coming election year in service of our candidates and causes be right and just. Let us inspire others to join in these efforts. Heavenly Father, we pray for a special protection of our brave men and women of our military, our first responders, and their families. May they know our appreciation for their service and sacrifice to our country and our communities. May they be shielded by your protection, guided by your wisdom, and comforted by your peace. Lastly, we pray that this evening's debate serve as an opportunity for renewal and deeper commitments to the values that make our nation great. Protect all who are here and all who are watching. May we be reminded that we are part of the greatest nation on earth, the United States of America, bound by the shared values and ideals that have shaped our history and will guide our future. We ask all of these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, please rise for the presentation of colors by the Venture Scouts of Ventura County.
All active and retired military and those in uniform, please salute. All others, please place your right hand over your heart. Please join us in saying the Pledge of Allegiance led by Westminster, California Mayor Chi Charlie Wynn. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which I stand, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Performing the national anthem, singer and recording artist, Mary Milvin. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight o'er the ramparts we were so gallantly streaming and the rockets ring the bombs bursting in air through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star In the hills of California's Simi Valley stands a monument to one of the most beloved leaders in our nation's history, Ronald Reagan, the Gipper, the great communicator, America's 40th Commander-in-Chief. He railed against big government. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. 
and sought peace through strength. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Forty years after Reagan's landslide re-election, the Republican Party faces critical questions. What does it mean to be a conservative? We fight for the truth. We are not going to worry about what the left and the media say about us. What is the key to a thriving economy? It's innovation, not regulation. America can do for anyone what she's done for me. We will stop the spending. We will stop the borrowing. We will stop the earmarks. What is America's role in the world? We need to build a military fitted to the widening challenges in an ever more dangerous world. Sometimes you avoid war by showing you're tough. And the country faces even more challenges. Would Reagan even recognize the country in which we now live? Tonight, candidates seeking the Republican nomination converge in California to chart a new path for the grand old party. Now is the time for choosing. Welcome to the second Republican debate of the 2024 primary, live from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. We're inside the spectacular Air Force One Pavilion, where the stage is set for a showdown. I'm Stuart Varney of Fox Business, and I am thrilled to be sitting alongside my co-moderators, Fox News Channel Dana Perino and Ilya Calderon, Cal uh, uh, Univision. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. President Reagan famously described America as a shining city on a hill. And tonight, seven candidates will make the case they should be the one to lead that city into a brighter tomorrow. But first, they have to convince you, the voter. Please allow me to welcome our Spanish-speaking audience. Muy buenas noches a todos. Desde la Biblioteca Presidencial Ronald Reagan, los precandidatos republicanos también buscan su voto para las primarias del partido. Bienvenidos. And good evening. So, let's meet the candidates who have qualified and chosen to be on this stage tonight. They are positioned by the order they rank in the polls, with the highest polling candidate in the middle. Standing center stage, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Flanking the governor, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley. Next is South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, and former New Jersey governor Chris Christie. On the wing tonight, former Vice President Mike Pence. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. We have questions on a wide variety of issues important to primary voters. Candidates get one minute to answer and 30 seconds to respond if singled out. When their time runs out, we'll all hear this. We have a lot of ground to cover, so please keep it civilized. Let's get going. We are in this spacious, sunny place tonight, designed to reflect the very nature and character of Ronald Reagan. It's a place that makes you proud to be an American. Yet today our nation is drowning in division and incivility. 
Voters say they dread the 2024 election and find politics exhausting. Two in three Americans think the country is on the wrong track. And three in four say they, the economy is not in good shape. Prices are up 18% since 2020. More than half of the U.S. population has little access to childcare. 85% of Americans say their personal finances are a source of stress. Americans want to believe a leader who says, you can follow me. I've got you. Don't worry. President Biden is trying to do that with Bidenomics. And yesterday, he joined the picket lines where auto workers are demanding more wages and job security. Senator Scott, you recently reacted by praising Ronald Reagan for firing air traffic controllers in the 1980s. It's saying, you strike, you're fired. Would you fire thousands of striking auto workers today, Senator? Obviously, the President of the United States cannot fire anybody in the private sector. However, we should look back at the first bill in Congress under Pro Joe Biden. The first bill had $86 billion for the union pensions because they continue to overpromise yet underdeliver. One of the challenges that we have in the current negotiations is that they want four-day French work weeks, but more money. They want more benefits, working fewer hours. That is simply not going to stand. I sat in a finance committee hearing when a widow came before the committee who was promised pensions from, from the unions, $4,000 a month. Unfortunately, it had been cut to $1,000 a month. We must make sure that we honor the commitments that we make, and one of the ways that we do that, do not overpromise and then underdeliver and leave the taxpayers on the hook. I'll say this, Joe Biden should not be on the picket line. He should be on the southern border working to close our southern border because it is unsafe, wide open, and insecure, leading to the deaths of 70,000 Americans in the last 12 months because of fentanyl. It is devastating. Every county in America is now a border county because fentanyl has devastated Americans in every single state. I will also say six million illegal crossings since Joe Biden has taken office and he eliminated Title 42. The one thing he should do is finish the wall, reinstate Title 42, and get the job done. Well, I can promise you that we are going to have a lot of questions on the border and immigration. But in the meantime, we do want to talk about the economy and jobs, and especially want to talk about this strike for just a moment more. Mr. Ramaswamy, you've said you really empathize with the strikers. You're standing next to Senator Scott. Do you agree with what he said, or do you think he's wrong? I agree with some of what he said, for sure. I like the spirit of it. I'll say that I don't have a lot of patience for the union bosses. I think that's where he and I actually have a common view. I do have a lot of sympathy for the workers, however. People are going through real hardship in this country. I've been through hardship growing up. My father stared down layoffs at GE under Jack Welch's tenure at the GE plant in Evendale, Ohio. My mom had to work overtime in nursing homes in Southwest Ohio to make ends meet and pay off our home loan. So I understand that hardship is not a choice. 
But victimhood is a choice, and we choose to be victorious in the United States of America. You know what, if I was giving advice to those workers, I would say go picket in front of the White House in Washington, D.C. That's really where the protest needs to be. Disastrous economic policies that have driven up prices, that have driven up interest rates and mortgage rates, at the same time wages remaining stagnant. What we need is to deliver economic growth in this country, unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear energy, put people back to work by no longer paying them more money to stay at home, stabilize the U.S. dollar itself, and rescind a majority of those unconstitutional federal regulations that are hampering our economy. That is how we unleash American exceptionalism. And that's not a Democratic vision or a Republican vision. That is an American vision that we embrace economic growth, and capitalism is still the best system known to man to lift us up from poverty. Poverty, and we should not apologize for it. That's what it means to be an American. Together, the CEOs of General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis make 336 times the number of rank and the uh, member, number of rank and file workers. That's just part of a, work, a wider income inequality trend in the country. The richest one percent now controls one fifth of all income. Vice President Pence, last week you said you side with American workers, but you also support how these companies operate. Which is it? Well, thank you for the question. I want to thank uh, Univision and Fox Business for assembling such a wonderful forum. Look, I do disagree with something Tim Scott just said. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm from the second leading manufacturing state in the country per capita. I was governor of the state of Indiana. We brought 12,000 factories back to America during our administration. I, I know something about manufacturing. And I got to tell you, while, uh, while the union bosses are talking about class warfare and talking about disparity in wages, I, I have to tell you, I really believe what's driving that is Bidenomics has failed. Wages are not keeping up with inflation. Auto workers and all American workers are feeling it. And families are struggling in this economy. And Joe Biden's Green New Deal agenda is good for Beijing and bad for Detroit. We ought to repeal the Green New Deal, get rid of the mandates and subsidies that are driving American gasoline, automotive manufacturing into the graveyard. And beyond that also, uh, as President of the United States, I'll be standing with workers all across America America, and I'll be standing for the right to work of every American to join a union or not join a union as they decide. Senator Scott, you yes. mentioned, will you care to respond? There's no doubt that Joe Biden needs to be fired. That's why I'm running for president. I look forward to being the next president of the United States. I will also say, I know America can do for anyone what she's done for me. It's why we're focusing on restoring hope creating opportunities and protecting the America we all love. Growing up in a single-parent household, I wondered if the American dream would work for a kid in the inner city. I've got good news for every single child, whether you're in the inner cities of Chicago or the rural parts of Iowa. America and the dream, it is alive, it is well, and it is healthy. God bless these United States of America. Governor Haley, you raise your hand. I think we need to look at exactly what happened. Biden showed up on that picket line. 
But why are those workers actually there? It's because of all of the spending that he has pushed through in the economy that's raised the inflation. So when you look at the fact that we are paying higher gas prices, higher grocery prices, $7,000 more a year for families, what we need to do is I came out with an economic plan, eliminate the gas and diesel tax so that they have more money in their pocket. Let's focus on, on going after middle America and cutting taxes for middle America and collapsing those brackets. Let's get rid of unfair distortions like the state and local tax that they give to wealthy people in, in blue states and not in paid by red states. And let's make sure we make the small business taxes permanent. They only made those temporary. They made the corporate taxes permanent. Let's focus on what it takes to get more cash in the pockets of workers. That's when we'll be able to deal with strikes like this, not sitting on a picket line like Joe Biden is. Th Thank you, Governor Haley. We, we have other questions to get to about economy. Allow me to... I, I just um, have to I'm sorry. Allow me to... Allow yeah, me to I'm, I'm sorry. I have to jump in because we're missing the point and every other network is missing the point. The reason why people are striking in Detroit is because Joe Biden's interference with capital markets and with free markets. The subsidies, we're subsidizing the automakers and we're subsidizing the cars and a particular kind of car, not every car, we're particularly, we're subsidizing electric vehicles. And when you decide that we're gonna take all of your taxpayer monies, take a billion dollars, subsidize a certain type of vehicle, and the batteries come from China, China controls 85% of the rare earth minerals, they're called rare earth because they're measured in parts per million. China is moving 100,000 pounds of earth in Indonesia, in Africa. They're literally destroying the planet so that we can make and make a battery that's in a car subsidized here. That's why they're striking because they need two thirds less workers to build an electric car. Joe Biden, this strike is at Joe Biden's feet. We're going to keep the topic of economy, but allow me to follow the follow question to Governor Christie. The government will shut down if Congress does not reach a deal by the end of this week. Vice President Pence warns that politics of, quote, Trump's populist protégés, like Mr. Ramaswamy, are a road to ruin for the GOP. If the government shuts down, should voters blame populist Republicans? Voters should blame everybody who's in Washington, D.C. They get sent down there to do the job, and they've been failing at doing the job for a very long time. And let's be honest about this with the voters. You know, during the Trump administration, they added $7 trillion, $7 trillion in national debt. And now the Biden administration has put another $5 trillion on and counting. They have failed and they're in the spot they're in now because none of them are willing to tell the truth. None of them are willing to take on the difficult issues. They just want to keep kicking the can down the road. And the inflation that Nikki spoke about is absolutely right and it's caused by government spending. And that's why people all across this country are suffering tonight. And yet we don't get any answers because Joe Biden hides in his basement and won't answer as to why he's raising the debt the way he's done. And Donald Trump he hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. He put $7 trillion on the debt. He should be in this room to answer those questions for the people you talk about who are Can suffering. And if, the government, and if the government closes, and if the government closes, it's the blame, it is to the blame of everyone in Washington, D.C., who has failed to do their job and just plays to the grandstand. Next question is for Governor DeSantis. We want to get it done in Washington. Can we please respect the time? We can get it done. 
They Governor are, DeSantis, you haven't spoken, please. The people in Washington are shutting down the American dream with their reckless behavior. They borrowed, they printed, they spent, and now you're paying more for everything. They are the reason for that. They have shut down our national sovereignty by allowing our border to be wide open. So please spare me uh, the crocodile tears for these people. They need to change what's going on. And where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added 7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have. Now I can tell you this, as governor of Florida, we cut taxes, we ran surpluses, we've paid down over 25% of our state debt, and I vetoed wasteful spending when it came to my desk. And as your president, when they send me a bloating spending bill that's gonna cause your prices to go up, I'm gonna take out this veto pen and I'm gonna send it right back to them. Ilya, you mentioned me in the question. I just wanna address yeah. of a lot of moms and dads and Americans, and I know that you've been thinking about it because childcare costs, they yes. are up, they're topping $10,000 per month. Some families are spending up to half of their income yes. on childcare, and they're having to decide, is it worth it for me to work, or does it not make sense for me financially? In three days, the billions of dollars in pandemic-era funding is going to end, and 70,000 daycares could close. So you had an effort to broaden eligibility for childcare assistance. That fell apart last year. And for the moms and dads out there who are worried, what can you tell them if you weren't able to get it through the Congress, how could you do it as president? Certainly one of the things I did as a member of the Congress was to make sure that we protected the Head Start programs around the country, giving people the opportunity to pick and choose the place that they send their children. The challenges that we see today under the Biden administration is that the cost for daycare has gone over $15,000 per child. In the Build Back Broker plan, he called it the Build Back Better plan, it was going up to $29,000. The way we fix that problem is to make sure that we actually cut taxes and give more Americans their money back. When I helped write the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we actually lowered a single mother's taxes by 70% on the federal level, for dual income households by 60%. Then we went a step further. We doubled the child tax credit and made it refundable. By doing that, more parents had more resources to make the decisions how to take care of their family. The one thing we should do is let the American people keep their money. When that happens, the greatest opportunities rise from the ashes. Okay, I need we're to jump 15 in 15 seconds. Go ahead, I and then we're going to the border. Ilya mischaracterized a part of my view. I think this artificial division is unhelpful in our party. The real divide is not between the Republicans on this stage. And in the Reagan Library, I want to say these are good people on this stage. The real divide is between the majority of us in this country who love the United States of America and share our founding ideals free speech, meritocracy, okay. the idea you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character, and the fringe minority in the Democrat Party that has a chokehold over that party. That's the real divide. Right. So this populist versus classical debate is border. artificial. Ilya? We need to unite this party. I want to answer the question about the administration. We are going to talk about immigration and the border. And child care. We have millions of people. We have all these questions. We're going to get to you 
We're going to come back to you. No, There's a lot of time. We're about child care. Nobody answered the question. In North Dakota, we Sir. knew that we knew that the cliff was coming. We knew that there was going to be millions of people without it. And so guess what? We planned. Okay. When we, we, we passed legislation because child get, care we will is, get you some questions, but you're going to have to let us move on. We are going to the border they are next. Child no. care no, sir, is workforce infrastructure. And I haven't been given a chance to respond. In 1984, President Ronald Reagan said the following. The idea of amnesty for those who have put down roots and who have lived here, even though some time back uh, they, they may have entered illegally. Two years later, President Reagan granted amnesty to nearly three million immigrants, something no Democrat or Republican president has done since. Governor Christie, as governor of a non-border state in 2010, you supported a path to citizenship. But when you ran for president in 2016, you flipped, saying immigrants should be tracked like FedEx packages. Where do you stand now on a path to citizenship for 11 million of undocumented immigrants? Well, the problem is that since no one has done anything since we first had this discussion 13 years ago, we're not in a position to be able to do any of that anymore. What we have to do now is first treat this like the law enforcement problem it is. Our laws are being broken every day at the southern border, every day. And Joe Biden and his crew is doing nothing about enforcing that law. They are letting it go. And by the way, they announced during the presidential race they were going to let it go. And we need to have a, go a president who acts like I did as governor, enforce the law first and foremost. And that means what I'll do on day one is sign an executive order to send the National Guard to partner with Customs and Border Patrol to make sure that we stop the flow of fentanyl over the border, but also to make sure that we send a much different message. We want you here in this country to fill the six million vacant jobs we have, but only if you come here to follow the law and only if you come here legally. If you come here illegally, we will apprehend you and we will send you back across the border from which you came. And the fact is that until we set a law and order agenda in this country, not only now, but in the future, we won't, we won't be able to continue this. And I'll look, I'll tell you this, Donald Trump failed on this as well. He said he was gonna build a wall across the whole border. He built 52 miles of wall and said Mexico would pay for it. Guess what? I think if Mexico knew that he was only going to build 52 miles, they might have paid for the 52 miles. Thank you, Governor. All right, Governor Haley. Most illegal immigrants are coming from countries south of the border. You've seen the Fox News drone. It's captured the steady stream of people coming into the country on a daily basis. In fact, I believe we have a live picture of it tonight. That is happening right now, live. In the last decade, the U.S. has spent nearly $55 billion to address the root causes of migration. But crime, poverty, and corruption, they persist, and the number of migrants is only growing. Are we wasting our money? Well, what happens is when Joe Biden waved the green flag, it told everybody to come. And now we've seen six million people cross the border. We've had more fentanyl that have killed Americans in the Iraq, Vietnam, or Afghanistan wars combined. We need to make sure that we are a country of laws. The second we stop being a country of laws, we give up everything this country was founded on. So we have to secure the border. The way we do that is, first of all, defund sanctuary cities. You see what's happening in Philadelphia right now. It's got to stop. 
we need to make sure we put 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. I spent 400 miles down that border, and I'm telling you, Border Patrol agents aren't allowed to do their job. Let's go back to remain in Mexico policy. Instead of catch and release, let's go to catch and deport. What about and the let's aid that we've been, what about the aid that federal taxpayers are paying to deal with the root causes? It's not working. The only aid that we should be spending right now is to secure the border, the southern border, the northern border, period. You would cut we off need aid to, to keep the Americans safe, and right now Americans are not safe. Only when we fix the immigration system, only when we get the border secure, should we ever look at putting any more money into this. Right. Our money should be about keeping Americans safe. We're not doing that. Joe Biden's not doing that. And you mentioned Congress and, and shutting down government. I'll make it clear. We have to change the budget process. In four years, in 40 years, Congress has only delivered a budget on time four times in 40 years. Right. If they don't keep the government open, they should not get paid. No pay, no budget. That's the way we Governor, should do it. Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, we have a question for you. Governor DeSantis, China invested $12 billion in Latin America just last year. They signed strategic partnerships with seven countries, including Mexico. And China's military ties to the region now include arms sales and training exercises. Are you comfortable with China deepening ties with our southern neighbors? Of course not. And the reason why we're in this mess is because elites in D.C. for far too long have chosen surrender over strength when it comes to the CCP. Some people in our country got rich, our industrial base got hollowed out, and they have been able to build the second most powerful military in the entire world. We need a totally new approach to China. We are going to have real hard power in the Indo-Pacific, like Reagan, to deter their ambitions. We're going to have economic independence from China, where we're decoupling our economy, and we are going to go after the cultural power they have in this country. As governor of Florida, I ban the CCP from buying land in our state. We should do that all across these United States. We shouldn't have them in our universities. We shouldn't have Confucius Institutes. So you see a country in decline, our power's in decline. China's going to surpass us this decade, and if they do that, that's going to affect every single American household. As your president, I am not going to let that happen. I'm going to reverse this country's decline. We are going to choose strength, not surrender when it comes to the CCP. America is not, America is not a country in decline. Under Joe Mr. Biden, Mr. we are a country you in retreat. You propose, quote, universal deportation for all undocumented immigrants and their children, even if the children are citizens of the United States. Under what legal premise will you expel U.S. citizens? So the first thing I want to say is I agree with everything. The Republicans on the stage are on the right side of this issue. Militarize the southern border, stop funding sanctuary cities, and end foreign aid to Mexico and Central America to end the incentives to come across. But I do go a step further. You're right about that, Ilya. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now, the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. The difference between me and them is I've actually read the 14th Amendment. What it says is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the laws and jurisdiction thereof are citizens. 
So nobody believes that the kid of a Mexican diplomat in this country enjoys birthright citizenship. Not a judge or legal scholar in this country will disagree with me on that. Well, if the kid of a Mexican diplomat doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship, then neither does the kid of an illegal migrant who broke the law to come here. And as the father of two sons, it is hard for me to look them in the eye and say, you have to follow the law when our own government fails to follow its own laws. That's how we really go the distance and solve this problem and restore the rule of law in the United States of America, because that is part of what it even means to be an American. Senator Scott, you oppose ending birthright citizenship. What does Mr. Ramaswamy have wrong on that issue? Yeah, there's no doubt the fact that when you think of the Constitution in the 14th Amendment, it was certainly written as it relates to slavery, not as it relates to illegal immigration. It's been applied to illegal immigration. So the challenge that we face is, in fact, one that has to do with whether or not the people that come here are under the jurisdiction of our laws. And frankly, if you come here illegally, you are not. Now, surviving a Supreme Court argument is something I can't tell you. But from a perspective of the Constitution, I think it's simple that clearly it was designed for slavery and not for illegal immigration. I'll go one step further, though. When we have a conversation about the things that are happening on this stage, we think about the fact that Vivek just said we were all good people. And I appreciate that because last debate, he said we were all bought and paid for. And I thought about that for a little while and said, you know, I can't imagine how you can say that knowing that you were just in business with the Chinese Communist Party and the same people that funded Hunter Biden, millions of dollars, was a partner this of yours as well. It's not nonsense. So look, do you, do you here's not, what I, 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 I want to respond. These, these are good people who are tainted by a broken system. And it's not the fault I, I think of anybody who's involved. Some of us are tainted. Excuse me. Line is when you said excuse me. Not. Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. Literally. While I'm speaking. Well, literally. No, you said bought and paid for. If I may finish. You can't be on both sides. Gentlemen, you'll have your turn. One of the challenges we should have. Can we focus on the issues that matter? We know Business in China. May, Everybody knows that. If I may, if Let's I may focus address, on holding Joe Biden accountable. That's what we need to be focusing on. I actually agree on. with Ron DeSantis. Well, speaking at the same time, I, no one can understand exactly. your message. Exactly. So if I may, I agree with Ron DeSantis on China. When every other CEO expanded into the Chinese market, you know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, you ran Strive, right when, no, that's years ago. right when I started my next company, Strive, to compete against BlackRock, excuse me, no, no. to compete against BlackRock, I made a commitment that we would never do business in China. And I will say something. Yes. I think you have more than time to explain your point. Well, if I, I was interrupted by a lot of people here, and I want to be respectful because I believe these are respectful last people, but I do not believe in these. We're sitting here in the Reagan Library. Yes, I wish you would not think it was midnight in honor of Ronald Reagan's library, if I may admit, well, from one, Tim, listen, from one admirer listen, of Ronald all, Reagan all to I'm another, from you. one admirer of Reagan to another, Did we cannot do deals sit, with the CCP four Reagan's years ago. This isn't command. productive. I, I want to hear about that. I let's have a policy debate. What's going on? I'll, I'll let us have a that. policy debate. Let's have, about their let's have a policy debate. Yeah. And the right answer Mr. is Mr. we need to declare independence from China. Thank you very and much. I will see that through. Vice President Pence, in 2017, the Trump-Pence administration canceled DACA, which put the legal status of 600,000 dreamers in the hands of the courts. Dreamers work, and they pay taxes. As president, if the Supreme Court ends DACA, would you work with Congress to reach a permanent solution for DREAMers? 
Well, first, let me say I'm glad, I'm glad Vivek uh, pulled out of his business deal in 2018 in China. That must have been about the time you decided to start voting in presidential elections. So yeah. we're Thank nice you. to have you participating in elections. Too. So let me, let me speak to this issue. Number one, um, I negotiated the Remain in Mexico policy with the, with the Mexican government. Uh, we used economic power to bring the Mexican government to the table. Uh, we built hundreds of miles of border wall. And despite what's said here today, uh, we reduced illegal immigration and asylum abuse by 90%. And as President of the United States, I can do it again. And the, so truth, I, I, is, I, I, we, the truth is, we need to fix a broken immigration system, and I'll do that as well. But first and foremost, a nation without borders is not a nation. And we have to secure the southern border of the United States of America. I know how to do it, and we will do it again. Let me say one other thing about China. Let me say one other thing about China. Would you negotiate with Congress to give a solution to the problem that dreamers have right now? They are on a limbo. Well, let me tell you, I, I served in Congress for 12 years, although it seemed longer. <laughs> but, you know, something I've done different than everybody on this stage is I've actually, I've actually secured reform in Congress. You know, you know, Ron, you talk a really good game about cutting spending, but you've increased spending in Florida by 30%. When I was a member of Congress in 2006, right after Hurricane Katrina, Dana, you remember it, we stood our ground. I led House conservatives. We cut $100 billion out of the federal budget. It can be done, but as I said in the last debate, I'll say again, this is no time for on-the-job training. I'm going to be ready on day one to get Congress to step up, secure the southern border of the United States, build a military fitted to our times, and we're going to get spending in Washington, D.C. under control once and for all. Other side of this break, and I propose to go to a break, how will these candidates make America safer as rising crime plagues our city? Debate night continues in moments. Library for the second Republican presidential debate. I do want to just remind everyone, there's one minute for questions, three seconds for a follow-up, and the more you mention each other, that means a fewer questions you're going to get. Okay, so we want to talk about crime. This has been a horrendous problem in our country, Fox News and others have been covering it. Governor Christie, crime in major cities is striking fear into the hearts of Americans. Just last night, looters took over the streets of Philadelphia. You said in the last debate that you would use U.S. attorneys to prosecute crimes local prosecutors won't, but they are stretched as well, and they could not handle all of the lawlessness, the shoplifting, all the carjackings, the armed robberies. They're all surging. Progressive prosecutors were elected by their constituents, and they can't be fired by a president. So what would you do to end the revolving door of criminality? Well, look, Dana, I'm the only one on this stage who's done it. For seven years, I ran the fifth largest office in this country. 
um, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in New Jersey, and we set records for the number of prosecutions that we brought that still have not been broken. And the reason was that we went after the crime that was affecting people's lives. And as president, I will appoint an attorney general and instruct that attorney general that you are to put all the resources that are necessary to bring our cities back under control. The fact is, they will be stretched. There's no doubt about that, but that's what they take the job for, because they love the idea of enforcing the law. We've got to bring law and order back to this country, and not just in our cities, but we need law and order back everywhere. We need law and order back in our suburbs. People are threatened there. We need it in our rural areas. People feel threatened there. And we need it in Washington, D.C. also. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on this stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I want to ask Governor DeSantis, you fired a couple of prosecutors in your state, but as governor, I mean, sorry, as president, you would not have the ability to do that. How do you think about dealing with the root causes of crime, especially this revolving door of the criminals that just get out and come back and commit another crime? Well, the crime in these cities is, is one of the strongest signs of the decaying of America. We can't be successful as a country if people aren't even safe uh, to live in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco. Just being in Southern California over the last couple of days, my wife and I have met three people who have been mugged on the street. And that would have never happened 10 or 20 years ago. In Florida, we back the blue. We support the men and women of law enforcement. They are keeping us safe. We have a 50-year low in the crime rate. And yes, when I had two progressive prosecutors that weren't following the law in Florida, I removed them from their post, and the people of Florida are safer as a result of it. As president, I will use the Justice Department to bring civil rights cases against all of those left-wing Soros-funded prosecutors. We're not going to let them get away with it anymore. We want to reverse this country's decline. We need to choose law and order over rioting and disorder. On a related subject, Governor Haley, there's a nationwide policing shortage. Retirements are up. Recruitment is in the tank. Morale is at a record low. Three years ago, you signed a pledge to support law enforcement. Now, pledges are a nice idea, but what's your actual plan to get more police on our streets? Well, and I actually did it in South Carolina, too. You know, what we knew in South Carolina was you take care of those who take care of you. We have to start taking care of law enforcement, but it's not just taking care of them with words. It's making sure that you also follow through on what they do. Right now, we have a lot of stolen guns on the street. Well, these law enforcement officers, they arrest these people, and then they go and they're let out the very next day. So law enforcement feels like they don't know one has their back. We have to start prosecuting according to the law. We have to make sure we have the backs of law enforcement, and we have to make sure that we're a country of law and order. But I want to go back to China because I don't think we spent enough time on that. Right now, we have to look at what government's doing to hurt us against China, too. You have a company, U.S. Antibiotics, that produces amoxicillin, the number one antibiotic that we need. And right now, there is a company in Bristol, Tennessee, that produces that. Yet our federal government only gets it from China. We need to be focusing on companies that produce in America and supporting those companies that produce in America, not companies that are helping China. Governor, we will be talking foreign policy later. 
Peter. Delia? Yes, thank you, um, Stuart. We're going to stay in the topic of um, crime because it affects all of us. Governor Bergam, for the first time ever, a Univision poll found that mass shootings and gun safety are one of the most important issues for Latino voters. Mental health concerns are not unique to the United States, but gun violence is. What is your specific plan to curb gun violence? Well, first we need to notice, understand is I think that the liberal left is, seems to be just completely bent on prosecuting law-abiding citizens that are gun owners because every solution they have to this is take away the Second Amendment rights of Americans and somehow that's going to solve the problem. But all these cities was, that we're talking about that you showed the videos of tonight, they have some of the strictest gun laws in the country. So we know that that's not what's working. But what we have to do is get back to the core issues about the, the family. We have to get back to behavioral health and mental health. We've got to get back to actually enforcing the laws these people talked about. And like we've done in North Dakota, where we're the, we've got the goal and we're on the track to being the most military-friendly state in the nation. We've got the most military and the most support of what we're doing in terms of law enforcement because the, the morale is down because we've been defunding the police, because they've been attacked in the press. The police have become the bad guys when they're the one. They, there's all these jobs available in America. Why would you be a policeman if people don't even respect them? Every time I see a policeman, the first thing I say is thank you. And so does everybody else and my family and most of the people in our state because they know we have to respect the people that are out there defending us every single day. Can I answer the question Mr. on mass shootings? Mr. Ramaswamy, according to Customs and Border Protection, about 90% of fentanyl is seized at official border crossings and 57% of the smugglers are U.S. citizens. How would you stop fentanyl brought into the country, mostly by U.S. citizens, through ports of entry? There's two sides to this, and we have to be very honest about it. One is we do have to seal that southern border. Building the wall is not enough. They're building cartel-financed tunnels underneath that wall. Semi-trucks can drive through them. We have to use our own military to seal the Swiss cheese of a southern border. But we also have to be honest. There's a demand-side problem in this country, too, a mental health epidemic. I met family in Iowa. Two parents, Kathy and Derek, they lost their son Sebastian, 17 years old. He bought Percocet on Snapchat, and then he died. Why did he die? Because it was laced with fentanyl. That is closer to bioterrorism, not a drug overdose. That is poisoning. So it is our job to make sure that never happens. But it's also our job to make sure that 17-year-olds don't turn to Percocet via Snapchat. We have to bring back mental health care in this country, not with pumping pharmaceuticals, but with faith-based faith approaches that restore purpose and meaning in the next generation of Americans. Many of them are getting it through social media. And this isn't a Republican point or a Democrat point, but if you're 16 years old or under, you should not be using an addictive social media product, period. This is something that we can both agree on and we can revive both the mental health of this country while stopping the fentanyl epidemic that will kill more people this year than who died on 9-11, and I refuse to be a passive bystander sitting in the White House like the hollowed out husk of a current president we have. We will step up and address this problem to stand for Americans and our children. That is why, everything he said I agree with, that is why, as Commander-in-Chief, I'm going to use the U.S. military to go after the Mexican drug cartels. They are killing our people. And the stories that I've seen in Florida, we had an infant, 18 months, parents rented an Airbnb. 
And apparently the people that had rented it before were using drugs. The infant was crawling, the toddler was crawling on the carpet and ingested a fentanyl residue yep. and died. Are we just going to sit here and let this happen, this carnage happen in our country? I am not going to do that. So I guarantee you on day one, this border is going to be a day one issue for me as president. We're going to declare it a national emergency. Yes, we'll build the wall. We'll do remain in Mexico. But those Mexican drug cartels are going to be treated like the foreign right, terrorist gonna, organizations that they are. All right, Vice President Pence, we're going to move on to a different issue. Hold on, sir. Vice President Pence. Just last month, Vice President Pence, you said if elected, you would repeal all Obamacare mandates. However, you also made that same promise in 2016. And at that time, Trump-Pence had congressional majorities for at least the first two years, and you did not deliver on that promise. So Obamacare, right now, it is more popular than ever. Why should Americans trust you, if you become president, to fix that, or is Obamacare here to stay? Well, first, let me speak to the mass shootings issue, and then I'll answer that question. It's an important one, Dana. Look, I'm someone that believes that justice delayed is justice denied. And as a father of three, as the grandfather of three beautiful little girls, I'm, I am sick and tired of these mass shootings happening in the United States of America. And if I'm president of the United States, I'm going to go to the Congress of the United States, and we're going to pass a federal expedited death penalty for anyone involved in a mass shooting so that they will meet their fate in months, not years. It is unconscionable that the, the, uh, the Parkland shooter, Ron, is actually going to spend the rest of his life okay, behind bars in Florida. That's not justice. We have to mete out justice and send a message to these would-be killers that you are not going to live out your days behind bars. You're going to meet that. justice in this system. But does that mean Obamacare is here to stay? <laughs> well, thank you for reiterating the question, because I'd love to answer it. Look. I, I, think it's one of the I think it's one of the choices here. You know, my former running mate, Donald Trump, actually has a plan to start to consolidate more power in Washington, D.C., consolidate more power in the executive branch. If I'm president of the United States, it's my intention to make the federal government smaller by returning to the states those resources and programs that are rightfully theirs under the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. That means all Obamacare funding, all, right. all housing funding, all HHS funding, all of it goes back to the states. We'll shut down the Federal Department of Education will allow states to right. innovate. We're going to revive federalism in America, and states are going to help bring sure America back. Stu, go ahead. May I remind everyone to keep within their time frame so that we can get as many questions in as possible? Well, this question, for, this question for Governor DeSantis. Over 26 million Americans can, don't have insurance coverage. Governor DeSantis, two and a half million of them are in your state. That's worse than the national average. Can Americans trust you on this? Well, I think this is a, a symptom of our overall economic decline. Everything has gotten more expensive. You see insurance rates are going through the roof. 
people that are going to get groceries. I spoke with a woman in Iowa and she said, you know, for the first time in my life, uh, I'm having to take uh, things out of my grocery cart when I get to the checkout line because the, the total goes up so quickly. Sure. So this is very real and people are hurting out there. So we've got to address the underlying problem with Bidenomics, the overspending, taking all Biden's rules and regulations. I'm going to throw them in the trash can on day one. You're not going to have to worry about that. We're going to open up all of our energy. We will be energy dominant in this country that will lower your gas prices. And what we need to do with health care is recognize our health care is putting patients at the back of the bus. We have big pharma, big insurance, and big government, and we need to tackle that and have more power for the people and the doctor-patient relationship. Governor, why is your record in Florida on insurance worse than the national average? It's not, it's our, our state's a dynamic state. We've got, we've got a lot of uh, folks that come. Of course, we've had a population boom. We also don't have uh, a lot of welfare benefits in Florida. You know, we're basically saying we want to, this is a field of dreams. You can do well in the state, but we're not going to be like California and have massive numbers of people um, on government programs without work requirements. We believe you work and you got to do that. And so that goes for all the welfare benefits. And you know what that's done, Stuart? Our unemployment rate is the lowest amongst any big state. We have the highest GDP growth amongst any big state. And even CNBC, no fan of mine, rank Florida the number one economy in America. Haley. Healthcare is the leading cause of bankruptcy for American families, accounting for two-thirds of all personal bankruptcies. As president, how you protect Americans who get sick from financial ruin? First of all, how can we be the best country in the world and have the most expensive health care in the world? We have an issue. My mom was in the hospital, and when she was in the hospital, they tried to bring her a couple of Tylenol, and she said, I don't need it. And they said, honey, go ahead and take it because you're paying for it anyway. Why is it that when we got the bill, the insurance company in the hospital negotiated the bill for her without her having anything to do with it? When I am president, we will break all of it, from the insurance company to the hospitals to the doctor's offices to the PBMs to the the pharmaceutical companies. We will make it all transparent because when you do that, you will realize that's what the problem is. Second thing is you've got to deal with tort law. The lawyer, the doctors don't give you the 10 tests because they want to. It's because of the 90% chance they'll get sued. And then we need to bring competition back to health care, get rid of certificate of need systems, and make sure that they can compete. We have to put the patient in the driver's seat. They've been in the back seat for way too long. And once we give the patient the ability to decide their health care, deciding which plan they want, that is when we will see magic happen. But we're going to have to make every part of the industry open up and show us where their warts are, because they all have them, and we need to fix this on behalf of the Governor American Burgum, people. In 30 30 seconds, do, you have a, do you have a better way in 30 seconds? Well, yes, we're not, we're not talking about the real problem ever. We talk about why do we have the most expensive health care in the world. It's because the federal government got involved the same way they did with EVs, and they said, we're going to subsidize a particular kind of software back in 2008 under Obama, and they said, hey, we're going to do this. It's going to make everybody more produ productive. All of you that are watching have been to a doctor's office when the doctor's got his back to you and their hands on a keyboard. The, the only industry in the world that's ever absorbed $1 trillion of IT and became less productive, they saw 
less patients per day is U.S. healthcare because of they were subsidizing a certain kind of technology. It wasn't, it wasn't about improving healthcare. It was about picking winners and losers. Every time the federal government's involved, whether it's higher education, okay. healthcare, or now the auto industry, things get more expensive and less competitive. That was a great transition because we are going to move on the future education in America. What's the government's role in finding a way forward? The second Republican debate rolls on from Simi Valley. An informed patriotism is what we want. And are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what America is and what she represents in the long history of the world? More from the Fox Business Republican primary candidate debate with partners the Reagan Foundation, Univision, and Rumble after these messages. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to the Fox Business Republican primary candidate debate with partners the Reagan Foundation, Univision, and Rumble. Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in the Air Force One Pavilion for the second Republican debate. And let's get back to our questions, Governor Haley. American students, they are in academic trouble. They have lower scores in math and reading. There's chronic absenteeism. That's at record highs. And this has even been called education homicide. You say school choice is the answer, but South Carolina, your home state, still has not enacted universal school choice, and even the current expansion won't be fully implemented until 2027. Parents can't wait four years for a fix, so what would you do right now? Well, and school choice isn't the only answer, but I'll tell you it's not out of a lack of trying that we didn't try and get school choice in South Carolina. What I'll tell you, first of all, is we have to acknowledge the fact that 67% of our eighth graders are not proficient in reading or math. Over 80% of our eighth graders aren't proficient in history or civics. And recently they came out and said our 12 and 13 year olds are scoring at the lowest levels they've been scoring in reading and math in decades. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to make sure we catch our kids back up. We have to make sure they can read. A child that can't read by third grade is four times less likely to graduate high school. We need to do remediation. We need complete transparency in the classroom. No parent should ever wonder what's being said or taught to their child in the classroom. We need to make sure that we have school choice so that there's competition. We need to move all the programs from the federal government down to the states and let states decide what education looks like in their states. Right. And we need to start building things in America again. Let's put vocational classes back in our high schools and let's get our kids building the things that we know that we can make. When we start to focus on that and really bring in that parental 
involvement, that's when we'll start to see a difference. But we've got to get parents back included. We've got to quit spending time on this DEI and CRT and instead focus on financial literacy, on digital literacy, and on making sure that our kids know what they need to do to have the jobs of the next generation. On the subject of education, on the subject of education a question for Governor Christie. Students in your state are getting high marks on their report cards, but minorities are not doing well with math and reading. Black and Hispanic students averaging 29 points lower than white students in New Jersey. Would you address minorities first? You have to address all students. And look, in our state, Stuart, frankly, before I was governor, that gap was close to 50%. And what we did was institute more charter schools and more renaissance schools and more public school choice in New Jersey with innovative school districts in America during my time. And we have now increased that by nearly 40% in terms of their proficiency. It can be done when you give people choice. But let's tell the truth to everybody about what this is. This public school system is no longer run by the public. It is run by the teachers' unions in this country. Randy Weingarten and her crew are absolutely strangling. They are taking the worst of their members and defending them rather than advocating for our kids. And when you have the President of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers' union, there is no chance that you could take the stranglehold away from the teachers' union every day. They have an advocate inside the White House every day for the worst of their teachers, not for our students to be the best they can be. A President of the United States has to take on the teachers' union. I did it in New Jersey. And I will do it as President of the United States. Governor DeSantis, I have a question for you. Governor DeSantis, I have a question for you. Florida's new Black History curriculum says, quote, slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. You have said slaves develop skills in spite of slavery, not because of it. But many are still hurt. For descendants of slaves, this is personal. What is your message to them? So first of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, we are not going to be doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars, so we need to stop playing these games. Here's the deal. Our country's education system is in decline because it's focused on indoctrination, denying parents' rights. Florida represents the revival of American education. We're ranked number one in the nation in education by U.S. News and World Report. My wife and I, we have a six, five, and three-year-old. This is personal to us. We didn't just talk about universal school choice. We enacted universal school choice. We didn't just talk about parents' bill of rights. We enacted the parents' bill of rights. We eliminated critical race theory, and we now have American civics and the Constitution in our schools in a really big way, just like President Reagan asked for in his farewell address back in 1989. Florida is showing how it's done. We're standing with parents, and our kids are benefiting. There, there is not, there is not a redeeming quality in slavery. He and Kamala should have just taken the one sentence out. America has suffered because of slavery 
but we've overcome that. We are the greatest nation on earth because we faced our demons in the mirror and made a decision. So often we think that all the issues, you talked about crime and education and healthcare, we always think that those issues go back to slavery. Here's the challenge though. Black families survived slavery. We survived poll taxes and literacy tests. We survived discrimination being woven into the laws of our country. What was hard to survive was Johnson's Great Society, where they decided to put money, where they decided to take the black father out of the household to get a check in the mail, and you can now measure that in unemployment, in crime, in devastation. If you want to restore hope, you've got to restore the family, restore capitalism, and put Americans back at work together as one American family. Our nation continues to go in the right direction. It's why I can say I have been discriminated against, but America is not a racist country. Never, ever doubt who we are. We are the greatest country on God's green earth. And frankly, the city on the hill needs a brand new leader. And I'm asking right. for your vote. I'm going to have a question for you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Over 10.7 million students in over 18,000 public schools nationwide have the ability to change their identity without parental notification. Governor Christie told Stewart last week that he would pass a federal law to protect parental rights. Would you try to do the same? I have to be very clear about this. Transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. We have to acknowledge the truth of that for what it is. I met two young women early in this campaign. on parental rights in school. Parents have the right to know. And you know what the hypocrisy of this is? Even New Hampshire failed to actually get past a piece of legislation here. The very people who say that this increases the risk of suicide are also the ones saying that parents don't have the right to know about that increased risk of suicide. And I'm sorry, it is not compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. I met two young women, Chloe and Katie, early in this campaign, who are in their 20s, now regret getting double mastectomies and a hysterectomy. One of them will never have children. And the fact that we allowed that to happen in this country is barbaric. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical castration okay, under the age of 18. And parents in, in, have absolutely the right. Would you try right. to pass a federal law that says parents should have that right? We are going to require yes. states absolutely okay. have to then follow I that ask through. Governor Burgum we stand just to follow for parental up on this rights. Yes. You, you, in your state, this is you do not have a law that says parents can't be notified. But you want to be president. Would you try to pass a federal law to say parents have that right? I think this is a state's issue, but I do want to say something, because all night long we've been talking about issues about how it's broken in Washington, and I respect all of the people on the stage here for their 100 plus years of public service. Thank you. But the reason why we're not talking about education or health care or safety being a problem in North Dakota is because we have a business leader. I've got more experience as a business leader than I think this whole group combined. I know I've created more jobs than everybody else on stage, thousands of high paying jobs that have real meaning. So as a business leader, you come in and you treat the taxpayer like a customer. So in North Dakota, instead of fighting with the teachers unions, we actually created a K-12 coordinating council. Everybody gets in the room and the customer is but the student. But you do understand that this is an issue that many people in America really are concerned about, worried about, about parents and notification and schools. Yes, and that's why 
we have 50 platforms of innovation. That's why we have states. There are certain things the federal government is supposed to do. It's not the Department of Education that needs to be assembled. We've got to move it back to states. Do what we did in North Dakota. Instead of like, okay. oh, here's a choice school and here's an old here's an old school, the old way with the teachers union and the kids are trapped. We made every school in North Dakota an innovation school. Every school got out from under the red tape. And the things that, that help teach the values that we're trying to get, like 4-H, okay. like FFA, like Boy Scouts, well, the they can get credit for all of that oh, stuff. And by the way, North Dakota okay. is now at the top Sir? of the median SAT it scores in the country right now. Vice President Pence, the Department of Homeland Security warns that violence against LGBTQ plus people is on the rise and intensifying. According to a recent study, members of that community are nine times more likely to be victims of violent hate crimes. As president, how would you protect this community from violent attacks and discrimination? Well, as President of the United States, I'll, I'll stand up for the safety uh, and the civil liberties of every American, from every background. And I want the American people to know that. But I want to answer the question as well, Dana, that you just asked Doug Burr. Because by way of full disclosure, Chris, you mentioned the president's situation. I'm, my wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers' union, but I've got to admit, I'm, I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. And um, full disclosure, look, education is a state and local function. The state of Indiana had one of the very first school choice programs in the country. And when I was governor of the state of Indiana, we doubled it. And as to your question, Dana, let's, let's be very, very clear. Yeah. Um, when, when the Linmar Community Schools in Iowa had a policy where you could, you had to have a permission slip from your parents to get a Tylenol, but you could get a gender transition plan without notifying your parents. I weighed in with a foundation. That's not bad policy, that's crazy. We're gonna stand up for the rights of parents and we're gonna pass a federal ban on transgender chemical or surgical surgery anywhere in the country. We've got to protect our kids from this radical gender ideology agenda and we've got to empower parents at the state level with, with the ability to choose where their kids go to school, whether it's public, private, parochial, or homeschool, you empower parents and our schools will straighten up and reflect our values and focus on the basics faster than you could possibly imagine. Next subject. Can China. I just say one thing? China is, China, 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 this is, China this is, is investing. Now. If you talk over everybody, Please. we lose time. China is investing heavily in their tech companies. $280 billion every year on semiconductor research and development. That is one CHIPS Act per year. Governor DeSantis, you say companies like Google and Meta have too much power. Doesn't going after them give China an edge? No, I think you look at how our societies develop. They have huge amount of power over our society. They've cracked down on free speech. Uh, we're not saying you don't want them to do business, but you want it to be a free market. And right now they're monopolies. But this issue of China, I think, is really going to be fundamental. Uh, we have subcontracted out so much of our national needs to the CCP. We rely on them for a whole host of issues. We need to reshore and we need to decouple all those important industries. We need to get that back in the United States. They are our top geopolitical adversary by a country mile. Xi Jinping's got huge ambitions, not only in the Asia Pacific, but as you mentioned earlier in our region. Uh, but ultimately, we've got to beat them on the economy. Uh, and so that's what we'll do as president of the United States. Governor Christie, I wanted to follow up on this because 22% of American workers fear their jobs will be lost 
to a robot. And you said in the past that you, the free market is the way to go. Would you retrain workers who lose a job to artificial intelligence and to do what? Well, look, what I think artificial intelligence offers us is an extraordinary opportunity to expand well beyond the productivity that we have now and to have Americans be able to involve, be involved in that revolution, Dana. You know, each time we have shown incredible innovation and progress in this country, what we've done with it is to expand all kinds of new, even unthought of opportunities for folks. Yes, we have to do retraining for folks who lose some of their jobs, and we should be doing that. And we should have more training available both at the county college level and the local level for people to be able to access it. So yes, I would be in favor of that. But this is a much bigger issue than that. We can't be afraid of innovation. America has been the great innovator of this world over the last 250 years, a technological innovator, a manufacturing innovator, and a freedom and governmental innovator. And that's why America has to continue to stand strong in the world, pro-innovation, pro-progress. And I will tell you this, as President of the United States, what I will do is to make sure that every innovator in this country gets the government the hell off its back and out of its pocket so that it can innovate and bring great new inventions to our country that will make everybody's lives better. Mr. Ramaswamy, TikTok is banned on government-issued devices because of its ties to the Chinese government. Yet you joined TikTok after dinner with boxer and influencer Jake Paul. Should the commander-in-chief be so easily persuaded by an influencer? So the answer is I have a radical idea for the Republican Party. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. Kids under the age of social, under the age of 16, should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So while the Democrats are running rampant, reaching the next generation three to one, there's exactly one person in the Republican Party which talks a big game about reaching young people, and that's me. And let me level with all of you. I'm the new guy here, and so I know I have to earn your trust. What do you see? You see a young man who's in a bit of a hurry, maybe a little ambitious, bit of a know-it-all, it seems, at times. I'm here to tell you, no, I don't know it all. I will listen. I will have the best people, the best and brightest in this country, whatever age they are, advising me. We will be probably many of the people on this stage included. That's how I built my companies. I want to be challenged. I want people who disagree with me. That's what makes America great because we're not a perfect TikTok nation. We're founded on the, the pursuit Communist of perfection. That is what makes America great. And that is why we will end it once we win this election. Uh, I have to jump, I, I have to jump in here. When, I'm sorry. I have, Schwami was speaking. There's one person ahead, on this. This is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say hmm. because I can't believe you know, they hear you've Haley, got a may. TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150 million people are on TikTok. <laughs> that means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get me just text say, messages, they can get all of this. This is important. 
is China very important for our exactly party. What they're this doing. is very important and for our party, and I'm going to say You've gone and you've helped China make medicines in China, not America. You now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We so can't me, trust you. We can't have something. TikTok and I think that we, this is very important. Mr. Ramaswamy, you yes. have 15 Thank seconds. I think, excuse me. You have 15 seconds, Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you. I think we would be better served as a Republican Party if we're not sitting here hurling personal insults and actually have a legitimate debate I, I, about policy following Reagan's say, 11th Commandment in his honor. And the answer is, that is what actually makes our country strong. And I believe, I believe in these people, these are good people on the stage, they disagree, but let's have a legitimate disagreement. That's what I would say. If it, Stuart, can we Governor, get back to the question? The no, question we cannot. Was on Governor DeSantis, I'm going straight. On this stage Sir, that has a we, we, we will have to cut your mic, and I don't want to do that. I don't. So, Governor DeSantis, let me go to you. Experts say President Putin has ordered assassinations across Europe, cheated on arms control treaties with the U.S., and seeks to work with China to force our decline. President Reagan believed that if you want to prevent a war, you better be prepared to fight one. Today, the Republican Party is at odds over aid to Ukraine. The price tag so far is $76 billion. But is it in our best interest to degrade Russia's military for less than 5% of what we pay annually on defense, especially when there are no U.S. soldiers in the fight? It's in our interest to end this war, and that's what I will do as president. We are not going to have a blank check. We will not have U.S. troops, and we're going to make the Europeans do what they need to do. But they've sent money to pay uh, bureaucrats' pensions and salaries and funding small businesses halfway around the world. Meanwhile, our own country is being invaded. Uh, we don't even have control of our own territory. We have got to defend the American people before we even worry about all these other things. And I watch these guys in Washington, D.C., and they don't care about the American people. They don't care about the fentanyl deaths. They don't care about the communities being overrun because of this border. They don't care about the Mexican drug cartels. So as Commander-in-Chief, I will defend this country's sovereignty. But it's not a territorial dispute. It's never been a territorial dispute. And 90% of the resources that we send over to Ukraine is guaranteed. It's a loan. It is not 90% of the money that we send over there is loan. Well, we can talk about this, but at the end of the day, 90% of the money that we send over there is actually We're in the form of a loan. It's not, not actually not be paid by Ukraine. It's paid by the NATO, our NATO allies. So I think it's number a good one, number topic. Two. I think it's a really topic good topic, for debate. too. I will say, let's, t let's, let's debate the fact that our national vital interest is in degrading the Russian military. By degrading the Russian military, we actually keep our homeland safer, we keep our troops at home, and we all understand Article 5 of NATO. We have when to level with the American people. I, I thought you said and something about waiting until your turn to talk. So, well, hold on there. So, at the end of the day, I'm going to finish my... I'll be happy to Go debate ahead, on this. Go ahead, and I'll respond. I'll look forward to this one right now. Um, so, at the end of the day, when you think about the fact that if you want to keep American troops at home, the attack on NATO territory would bring us and our troops in. By degrading the Russian military, we reduce, if not eliminate, a ta an attack on NATO territory. If I, if I finish that exchange, we have to level with the American people. We have to level with the American people on this issue. 
The reality is we just because just because Putin people. is not an e Putin's an evil dictator does not mean that Ukraine is good. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. A win that has for actually, Russia is a that win is not for true. China. We're driving a win Russia. For Russia excuse is me. A win for China. Excuse me. If you have but a chance, I forgot you like you'll China. Have, That's no, why you're you'll okay. have you'll have your chance in just a moment. Yeah. The hurling personal insults isn't helping. China is the real enemy, and we're driving Russia further into China's arms. We need a reasonable peace plan to end this, especially this is a country whose president just last week Vivek, was hailing a Nazi Vivek, if you let Putin have ranks. Ukraine, that's a green and light to China is, to take Taiwan. We need a peace comes through strength. We need a reasonable plan to peace. Governor Christie. The Communist Party of China is the real enemy. Governor Christie. Governor Christie. President Biden's first two years have brought China, Russia, and Iran closer together. Are we focused too much on Ukraine and not enough on this threat from the new world order? No, they're all connected, Stuart. They're all connected. The Chinese are paying for the Russian war in Ukraine. The Iranians are supplying more sophisticated weapons, and so are the North Koreans now as well, with the encouragement of the Chinese. The naivete on this stage from some of these folks is extraordinary. Look. I understand people want to go and talk to Putin. Guess what? So did George W. Bush. So did Barack Obama. So did Donald Trump. And so did Joe Biden when he said a small invasion wouldn't be so bad. Every one of them has been wrong. And the fact of the matter is we need to say right now that the Chinese-Russian alliance is something we have to fight against, and we are not going to solve it by going over and cuddling up to Vladimir Putin. Look, Donald Trump said Vladimir Putin was brilliant and a great leader. This is the person who is murdering people in his own country and now not having enough blood. He's now going to Ukraine to murder innocent civilians and kidnap 20,000 children. And let me tell you, if you think that's where it's going to stop, if we give him any of Ukraine, next will be Poland. Right. This is a guy who said, oh, yeah. wait one sec, this is a guy in 1991 oh, yeah. who said that was the darkest moment in world history when the Soviet Union fell. Listen, everybody, he wants to put the old band back together and only America can stop it. Right. And when I'm president, we will. Governor Burgum, I, I want to get to Governor Burgum. He hasn't had a chance. I, I have a question I think you're going to really like, or at least you have experience in it. And we need to talk about America's farmers because there is a foreign policy connection here. The U.S. and China are in this fierce economic competition. It's hurting American businesses. And there is blowback against American farmers because China then targets them in retaliation. How would you as president protect American farmers and ranchers from that kind of retaliation from a foreign government like China? Well, first of all, we've got the best farmers and ranchers in the world right here in America. If they have a level playing field, they can outcompete anyone in the world. But this is part of the larger issue that we're talking about here, which is we're in a Cold War with China. The Biden administration won't admit that. But we're also in an economic war through the, what we're doing with agriculture and energy. And we're also in a war with them relative to cyber war. We get attacked every day in North Dakota, every state, every school district, our tribes all being attacked every day by either China, Russia, Iran, or North Korea. And now we've got a Biden administration whose whole policy is appeasement. They're out there, you know, creating the world, making it less safe. Six billion dollars they traded for five people. They've just now set a price on anyone's head who's a tourist from America, who's a student from America for a kidnapping. If you want more kidnapping, put a price on it. And then that's and they're also helping Iran get to have more closer to nuclear weapon, which pushes all of the Middle East closer to China and Russia. The whole thing is absurd. And then, of course, we're going to give Ukraine to Russia, and then we're going to give Taiwan to 
to China and think that's a foreign policy, that will make our nation less less successful, make us more poor, and at the core of all that is energy policy because China imports 10 million barrels of oil a day. They're the largest import in the world, and we've had four cabinet members from the Biden administration there this summer, and none of them talked about U.S. energy. The first one to go to each of those countries was Kerry to talk about the folly of the climate climate policy, which is making the world less stable. It's empowering dictators. It's not about climate change that we need worried about. It's about the Biden climate policies that are actually the existential threat to America's future. Thank you. Can I speak about that? Mexico's president called, who supports sending U.S. military into the country, quote, scoundrels. Mexico is the United States' most important trade partner and border security. You say you will send special operations to attack the cartels in Mexico. So, this means boots on the ground, drone strikes? It means special operations. It's how we deal with our terrorists. And what you need to do is understand that Mexico's not being a good partner if we lost 75,000 Americans last year. Mexico's not being a good partner if they're letting the cartels get away with what they're getting away with. What we will do is we will make sure that we send in our special operations and we will take out the cartels, we'll take out their operations, we'll take out anything that's doing it. But we're going to go after China because China is the one sending the fentanyl in the first place. And we will end all all normal trade relations until China stops sending fentanyl. And then we'll do the special operations and we'll get it from both sides. This is where President Trump went wrong. He focused on trade with China. He didn't focus on the fact that they were buying up our farmland. He didn't focus on the fact that they were killing Americans. He didn't focus on the fact that they were stealing $600 billion in intellectual property. He didn't focus on the fact that they put a spy base off our shores in Cuba. They didn't focus enough on the fact that all of our law enforcement drones in America are Chinese. And we've got all these little surveillance cells. We need to start focusing on what keeps Americans safe. That hasn't happened in a long time. As your president, I will make sure every American is safe and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen. All right. I want to get to Senator Scott. You're all auditioning for the job as president of the United States. You want to earn these votes. But the world's problems land in the Oval Office. During the presidential debates in the year 2000, Neither Al Gore nor George W. Bush was asked about al-Qaeda. Yet, just one year later, al-Qaeda's attack on September 11th claimed nearly 3,000 lives. And the farther we get from September 11th, the closer we are to September 10th. Senator Scott, you have no executive branch experience. What has prepared you to protect the nation from a major man-made national security crisis? One of the things I've had the good fortune of doing is serving on committees in the United States Senate, like the Senate Armed Services Committee, I'm on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, also on the Finance Committee, and the Banking Committee. Talk about addressing the issue of fentanyl. I've written the legislation, passed it through the Banking Committee and the Senate that would freeze the assets and sanction the accounts of the Mexican cartels. There are weapons that we have within the arsenal that I was able to get past 23 to zero in the polarizing Senate as it is. I've also understood without question the fact that if you look at the details before 9-11, there was information and intelligence that was available that suggested an attack was coming. Having the right intelligence partners with us is key to making sure that we prevent the next 9-11 from ever happening. Having that experience for the last 10 years is really important in getting the job done. 30 seconds to you, Mr. Pence. 
Well, I think you asked a question about executive experience, and I think it's vitally important. And I stand before you today as a candidate for president because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. And you hear the fire on the stage tonight, you hear the fire in all of our voices, and it's because Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. This is a time for those of us that have the experience, uh, the tested experience, and a commitment to the conservative agenda that Ronald Reagan brought forward in this party of a strong national defense, standing with our allies, standing up to our enemies, supporting limited government and traditional values, need to step forward. Understood. Because, frankly, our, our party does face a time for choosing, as they said at the top of this debate whether we're going to stand on the foundation of that conservative agenda that Ronald Reagan poured, or whether we're going to follow the siren song of populism unmoored to conservative principles. I'm the most experienced, most qualified, and most consistent conservative in this field, and I'm ready to lead right. America at home and abroad on day a one. It is time for choosing to go to a break. Ilya. We need to go to a commercial break. Reagan built a coalition that lasted decades. Can any of these candidates do the same? We'll take that up when the debate continues. Welcome back to the Republican primary debate here at the Reagan Library. We've got a lot more issues to cover and a lot more questions to go, so let's dive right back in. We're here in California, where gas is nearing $6 a gallon, oil is close to $100 a barrel again. You say, drill, baby, drill, but the courts won't let you. Mr. Ramaswamy, how would you bring down prices without immediate drilling? Well, look, I think that we do have to run through the courts and get through that administrative state to make sure we're using the natural resources here at home. But here's the other thing that we can do that's it easy. forever, Mr. Ramaswamy. And it addresses the national debt as well as brings down prices. Put people back to work. We are using taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home than to go to work. That is wrong. That contributes to our supply chain crisis. It contributes to inflation. That's the easiest way to unlock this economy. And here's the other thing. We have to put the Federal Reserve back in its place. This is an agency that has gone rogue. So in January 2026, when I have the opportunity as your next commander in chief, we will have a new chairman of the Federal Reserve who places priority on dollar stability, and then most importantly, send packing 75% of the administrative state, reduce the federal employee headcount by 75%, rescind 50% of unconstitutional federal regulations that are shackling businesses, both large and small. I've offered a very clear, practical plan to do it. That's how we unleash the economy. That's how we revive the integrity of a three-branch constitutional republic Vice rather President, than this technocracy and aristocracy Vice President, in the administrative your state. Response, please. I think one of the signature accomplishments of our administration was in just a few short years. We achieved uh, energy independence. We became a net exporter of energy for the first time in 75 years. But on day one, Joe Biden declared a war on energy, which was no surprise because when Joe Biden ran for president, he said he was going to end fossil fuels. 
And they've been working overtime to do that ever since. If I'm president of the United States, uh, we're going to open up federal lands. We're going to unleash American energy. We're going to have an all of the above energy strategy. And I have a plan that actually would not only reclaim energy independence, but in, in 2006, America lost our position as the leading energy producer on earth. I believe in the next 10 years with the right policies and experienced leadership in the White House, we can reclaim our role as the leading energy producer on earth and that'll grow the American economy for generations to come. Um, Governor Haley, reaction to that please. the only person who's leading an energy state, could I answer the energy question? No, uh, Governor Haley. So, you know, the first thing I'll say is what I saw at the United Nations is national sec energy security is national security. We need a president that understands we have to partner with our producers and make sure that they, we have their backs. What you don't need is a president who is against energy independence. Ron DeSantis is against fracking. He's against drilling. He's been against. You did it. Every He always talks about what happens on day one. You better watch out because what happens on day two is when you're in trouble. Day two in Florida, you ban fracking, you That's banned offshore drilling, you did true. it on federal lands, and you took green subsidies that you didn't have to take. Governor DeSantis, you were mentioned you had the right to respond. Two. 30 seconds. Yeah. I just did a plan out in West Texas for American energy dominance. We're going to choose Midland over Moscow. We're going to choose the Marcellus over the Mullahs, and we're going to choose Bakken over Beijing, and we are going to lower your gas prices. We are going to get that job done because it's important for our national security, it's important for jobs, and that's one of the best ways to drive down inflation. Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, this question is for you. Our, our voters enacted a constitutional you amendment banned it before that they doesn't voted. allow. No, it's not true. You they, banned it before no, they voted, Nikki, and not you're, only that, you're not, you're not, you're, they didn't she, vote on fracking. She's just totally wrong. They voted it Check in. It. That's Check what we it. did. Onshore, we do do it in Florida. We don't have as much as maybe West Texas, but we do it. But that was the constitutional amendment. So that's just wrong, and let's just get real here. My plan will get the job done. You we are going to be energy dominant, and that's what's going to happen. The voters didn't even vote on fracking. We are moving on with this question for Governor DeSantis. Governor, excuse me, we cannot talk over each other. We must respect each other's time. My apologies for that. I'm ready, Stuart. Governor DeSantis, this is your question. The Biden administration is hell-bent on student loan forgiveness, but you say colleges should be on the hook when graduates cannot pay their debt. How does that address the cost of college, how does that, the cost of college itself? Because the colleges are gonna to have to make a decision. Do we offer, do we expand the gender studies department, knowing some of those graduates may not have great uh, learning opportunities? No, they're gonna focus on the things that really matter. They're gonna make different choices. They're gonna to try to graduate people in four years. I also just wanna come back to something Dana asked last segment about 9-11, because I was just at the 9-11 memorial with the families, my wife and I are invited. It's very touching to be there, and it affected my life because I ended up joining the military as a result of that. Um, I've been a blue collar kid, minimum wage in Dunedin, Florida. I end up getting through Yale and Harvard Law School and somehow came out more conservative than when I went in. And that is not easy to do. Had a lot of opportunities to, to make money, but I wanted to serve. And I'll never forget coming back on the plane from Iraq, uh, landing in Coronado, California, North Island, and feeling that breeze off the Pacific Ocean and say, you know what? 
I am lucky to have been born an American, and I think being able to serve, and I'll be the first president elected since 1988 who's actually served uh, overseas in a war, I think that's going to help me as Commander-in-Chief to know how you see these issues and understand that there are real lives at stake for people that wear the uniform. And we know that Governor Haley's husband is serving right now as well, and we thank him for that. Uh, Senator Scott, the national debt has nearly doubled in your time in office. The approval rate for Congress is at a mere 19 percent. If this were a business, you'd probably all be fired in Washington, but you're here tonight looking for a promotion. In 2013, Governor Haley hired you for the Senate. I'd like you to tell her why you should be promoted to CEO of the nation instead of her. Certainly. One of the things I'd say is if you look at our national debt of $33 trillion, I would love to have an opportunity to have this country pass a balanced budget amendment. That would constrain the spending in Washington in the same fashion that it does in every state in our nation, number one. Number two, if you want to actually reduce our national debt, you have to grow our economy. In order to grow our economy, you need to create about 10 million jobs to grow our economy at 5 percent. You can do that in three specific sectors. Number one, the energy sector. We could create between three and three and a half million jobs if we unleashed all of our energy resources. America is the most, we're the richest country if you combine coal, gas, and oil. Why not unleash all of our resources? Number two, we've lost 100,000 factories, 100,000 factories in the last 25 years. If we continued on my Made in America plan, we could bring jobs back to America in a similar fashion that we did when I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We actually lowered the corporate tax from 35 percent to 21 percent, reshored or repatriated $1.7 trillion. We brought the unemployment rates for African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians to the lowest level in the history of the country right, so and a 70 year low for women. Governor Haley, would you think you, you, think you would? Well, first the promotion of all, I think, him. look, I, I appreciate Tim. We've known each other a long time, but he's been there 12 years and he hasn't done any of that. He well, hasn't. Actually, they've only given four I, budgets well, on time in 40 years. He was part of that. Biggest, he increased the national the debt. History. He voted for the spending. You voted he has for, made you, sure that the borders are open and they for haven't a done gas tax Look at everything that's happened. 12 years. Where have you been? I voted no on all. I voted on most of those things. We've waited and nothing has happened. Here's what you've done. Here's the thing that I just find interesting. Ron, Ron, let me finish All the first. these guys have said Here's the fact. And I appreciate a lot of the things they're saying. Nikki I'm Haley. the only one up here who's gotten in the big fights and has delivered big victories for the people of Florida. And that's what it's all about. You can always talk, but when, when it gets hot in there, when they're shooting arrows at you, are you going to be stand up for parents' rights to keep the state free? Are you going to be able to do all those things? And in the state of Florida, because of our success, the Democratic Party lies in ruins. We have won the big fights. We have turned our state into a Republican state. People respond to leadership. I've done it while others have talked How about, about the it. CEO? We actually have a CEO oh, of the White House, which is what I think we need. If I may, if I may just briefly interject here, we need a zero-based budgeting. 
That's the way businesses are actually Tax run. Cuts. Start with zero as the baseline for the budget and then see what's actually necessary. There isn't a blue state or a red state in this union that does it. The federal government doesn't do it. But successful companies, including the ones that I've built as a CEO, will do it. And I think we need a CEO in the White House to get that done. Governor Burgum runs a state that way. Yes, go ahead. You didn't ask the only guy that's been attacked. You have energy questions. You don't ask anything. But I'm just going to say right now, when you say nobody else has done it, the energy plans that have all been announced in the last month by these other folks on stage, we're already doing it in North Dakota. The border plans they're already talking about, we've got troops down at the border flying helicopter missions from North Dakota, from San Diego to the Gulf Coast, trying to stop transnational criminal organizations from inflicting the invasion and the mass casualties in our state. And on the energy policy, we're already doing it. And it's not saying when nobody else has done the big fights, North Dakota was leading the charge. We won the battle to get the Biden administration who was ignoring the law. They were the first administration since Truman that wasn't holding the quarterly required lease sales. And we won that in federal court. WOTUS, we won that in federal court. We're fighting the Biden administration on 20 fronts. To say that nobody's fighting the big fights, just look at the record of what we're doing right now. Energy, economy, national security have been talking about it since day one. And now finally, good, we're having the conversation about it. But we've got the answer in North Dakota. Governor Bergen, let's talk big government. This question's for you. Big government keeps getting bigger. One-fifth of all new jobs this year have been created by the government. Governor Burgum, you say you want to shrink the size of government. But it has been a century since any president has done that. Why would you be any different? Well, because we've, doing, we've, doing, we've done it in North Dakota. When I took office, we shrunk the state budget general fund by 27% in the first four months I was office, and we all the trains still running on time. Why? Because you had a business leader that was actually there. Inside of every government job, there's 10 or 20% of mind-numbing, soul-sucking work that even the state and federal employees don't want to do, and you can engineer that work out of the job. That would free up right there, 20% of 2 million civilian employees. And by the way, we've got 10 million jobs open. They'd have plenty to do, and they could be in generating taxes instead of being paid paid by taxes. This is totally possible to do it if you have somebody that understands because having worked in technology for 30 years, everything we had to do was to be better, faster, and cheaper the next day. That's what we can do right. in government. That's what we're doing in North Dakota. All right. Governor DeSantis. I want to ask you about something that I think is on a lot of Republicans' minds. This election could come down to less than 50,000 votes in three states. Abortion was on the ballot in six states in 2022. Republicans lost all of them. Next year, abortion will likely be on the ballot in Arizona. That is a must-win state. Governor DeSantis, how are you going to win over independent pro-choice voters in Arizona? Same way we did in Florida. We won the greatest Republican victory in a governor's race in the history of the state, over 1.5 million votes. We were winning places like Miami-Dade County, Palm Beach, that nobody thought was possible uh, because we were leading with purpose and conviction. I reject this idea that pro-lifers are to blame for midterm defeats. I think there's other reasons for that. Uh, the former president, um, you know, he's missing in action tonight. He's had a lot to say about that. He should be here explaining his comments to try to say that pro-life protections are somehow a terrible thing. I want him to look into the eyes and tell people who've been fighting this fight for a long time. I was at, my wife and I uh, earlier today were at the gravesite of President Mrs. Reagan, and I noticed that um, there was a quote where it says, every single person has purpose and worth. 
We're better off when everybody counts. And I think we should stand for what we believe in. I think we should hold the Democrats accountable for their extremism, supporting abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. That is infanticide and that is wrong. Let me ask Governor Christie. Governor Christie, do you think that Republicans can do that in Arizona if this referendum is on the ballot there? Yeah, because I did it in New Jersey. Dana, you know, it's... Then why are all these other states losing? Well, because they don't have leaders in those states who are leading the fight the way it should be led. And, and the fact is, look, I was a governor here of the only blue state that's represented up here. This is where the fight is really tough for Republicans. And those are the states that we're going to have to try to win if we're going to win the White House back. And what we did was 14 times, Dana, in eight years, I vetoed Planned Parenthood funding. 14 times. No one else gets it that much. The Democrats just kept sending it to me, and I kept saying no because I believe in life, but I also believe in states' rights. And I think we fought hard against Roe versus Wade for decades to say that states should make these decisions. So we're going to have those fights in the states. But what you need is a leader who can talk to people and make them understand that if you're pro-life, you have to be pro-life for the entire life not just the nine months in the womb. And we talked a lot about fentanyl tonight, and we haven't spoken one moment about treatment. But we need to make sure that for the drug-addicted 16-year-old on the floor of the county lockup, her life is precious too. And we need to be providing treatment to cure this as a disease that it is. If you're pro-life, you gotta be pro-life for the entire life. We start talking like that, they're gonna do what I did in the blue state which was get reelected with 61% of the vote and won 70% of independents and 51% of Latinos because I told them the truth from my heart. Thank you. Vice President Pence, the latest Univision poll found that 73% of Latino voters think the Republican Party doesn't care about or is being hostile toward them, the Hispanic community. Only Governor DeSantis has translated his campaign into Spanish. How will you reach out to Latino voters? Well, I, I promise you that we're going to continue to build bridges to every community in this country. And I'm incredibly proud of that tax cut and tax reform bill. I worked on Capitol Hill to help get that bill passed into law, the largest tax cut in American history. We saw literally the lowest unemployment ever recorded for Hispanic Americans, the lowest unemployment ever recorded for African Americans, 50-year low for women. So I think the President of the United States needs to be a champion for the American dream for every American. It begins with the unborn and the aging and the infirm. And it begins with every ethnic group in this country. And I promise you, if I'm President of the United States, I'll be a champion. I'll be a champion for the American dream for Hispanic Americans and for every American. So help me God. Senator Scott, reaction? Yes. I, there's no doubt that if you lead by example, it's the best way to get the job done. If you look at my office in the Senate, my chief of staff is the only Hispanic female chief of staff in the Senate. I hired her because she was the best, highest qualified person we have. What we need are leaders who lead by example. And I will simply say, I would love to finish my conversation with Nikki as it relates to the job that needs to get done. Nikki offered a 10% 10 cent gas tax increase in South Carolina. Talk about someone who has never seen a federal dollar she doesn't like. 10 cents on this gallon in South Carolina as the UN ambassador, you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains in a $15 million subsidized location. 
Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go you, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube you want to know what that 10 cent yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will Here's pass what it is you, you will give us three. All you have to do is go watch Nikki Haley on YouTube. If you will give me three times the deduction and income tax, then I will look at your gas tax, which is why it didn't happen. Secondly, secondly, on the 50 million curtains, do your yes. homework, Tim, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them, Did back? You send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. Are, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the yeah. residence. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, here's you a, are scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know here's, I fought the Here's a fact, though. I cut taxes. I loaded up our You wanted a gas tax. We do not intend to go ahead like this. In fact, we're about to take a commercial break. We'll have more of the second Republican debate live from the Reagan Presidential Library in just a few moments. minutes. I could go another hour, but we only have a few minutes. And candidates, it's now obvious that if you all stay in the race, former President Donald Trump wins the nomination. None of you have indicated that you're dropping out. So which one of you on stage tonight should be voted off the island? <laughs> Please use your marker to write your choice on the notepad in front of you. 15 <laughs> seconds. Starting now, of the people on the stage, who should be? I'm absolutely serious. With all due respect, wow. I mean, we're here, like, wow. you know, we're happy to debate, but I think that that's disrespectful to my fellow competitors. Nobody yeah. wants to. Yeah. Nobody wants to participate. Let's do some questions. Let's talk about the future of the country. I'll answer. I want to be. I want to be clear about what's going If I may. Let me, if and I let may me ask you something. Yeah. Let me. Then, yeah. if you won't answer that question, let me ask you this one. Yeah. What is your mathematical path? Yes. Governor DeSantis in order to try to beat President Trump, who has a commanding and enduring lead in this race. So polls don't elect presidents. Voters elect presidents. Right. And we're going to take the case of the people in these early states. We're going to do it in a state-by-state -state direction. And why? Because as Reagan said in his day, this is our time for choosing. We are not getting a mulligan on the 2024 election. Republicans have lost three straight elections in a row. We were supposed to have a red wave with inflation at 9%. It crashed and burned. Not in Florida, it didn't. We delivered it in Florida. And so we've got to choose right. We've got to win. And we need somebody that's going to be able to serve two terms. So in January of 2023, they'll be able to address the nation saying, we turned the economy around, we secured the border, and we fended off the threat from communist China. As your president, I will get that job done. Uh, Governor Christie, I believe I did see you write something. Governor Christie, I believe, excuse me. Governor Christie, I believe I did see you write something on the card. No, no, but I'll certainly tell you. Go. Okay. Yeah. Look, I think I've been the only one on this stage who's been clear about this. I vote Donald Trump off the island right now. 
And the reason I vote him off the island. You will and there were, and, but, any of the, no, of the people no, on the stage. No, because you know what? Every person on this stage has shown the respect for Republican voters to come here, to express their views honestly, candidly, and directly, and to take your questions honestly. I have respect for every man and woman on this stage because they've done it. Vivek, put your hand down for a second, would you? Um, <laughs> I still got I still got time, dude. So so chill out. Um, here, look. This guy has not only divided our party; he's divided families all over this country. He's divided friends all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation right. anymore if they disagree with Donald Trump. Governor he needs to be voted off the island, and he needs to be taken out of this process. Can we get Vivek 15, 15 seconds? Right. You've got 15 seconds, Vivek. I appreciate it Look, I have a different view on this. I think Trump was an excellent president. But the America First agenda does not belong to one man. It does not belong to Donald Trump. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you, the people of this country. And the question is, who's going to unite this country and take the America First agenda to the next level? When we rallied behind the cry to make America great again, we did not just hunger for a single man. We hungered for the unapologetic pursuit of excellence. So yes, I will, I will respect Donald Trump and his legacy because it's yep. the right thing to do. But we will You're unite this country to take the America first agenda to the next level. And, and that will take a that, different generation to do it. For that does it. I repeat, that does it for the second Republican primary debate live from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. Thank you to all the candidates. We've loved having you here tonight, and we will see you out on the campaign trail. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Good night. Buenas noches. Just prior to the debate, the Reagan Foundation President and CEO, David Trulio, interviewed each candidate. You can find these exclusive interviews on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Reagan Foundation. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week, Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast, featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher. 